Hey, listeners. We're doing something a little different during this time of quarantine. We're recording from home and remotely, so you may hear a little bit of a difference in sound quality. I'm sitting here in my home office looking out into my backyard where there's a nice tree and some birds. Charlie Jane, where are you recording from? I'm recording in my space station. I have a really good view of the North Pole right now. We're flying directly over the Arctic Circle. It's really lovely, actually. You know, I wish everybody was in quarantine up up here in space. It's actually really nice because, you know, you don't even miss people after a while. And there's robots and some aliens have stopped by to say hi. It's been really good. You have a great internet connection up there. Damn. I know. It's so good. The aliens actually helped with that. Oh, great. Cool. And Veronica, our producer, is also doing this remotely. Veronica, where are you? I am in my home hanging out with my cat, Patty Cakes. Oh, hi, Patty Cakes. So cute. I follow Patty Patty Cakes Cakes on Instagram. Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So all of you should know about that. All right. Let's start the show. Welcome to Our Opinions Are Correct, a podcast about the meaning of science fiction. I'm Charlie Jane Anders, a science fiction writer who thinks rather a lot about science. And I'm Annalie Newitz, a science journalist who writes science fiction. Today, we're going to be talking about television shows that are making us happy right now during this time of home confinement and social distancing and just generally feeling kind of a little bit stuck at home. You know, this is a time when we really need television to be our our special friend and a lot of TV shows are guiding light. Absolutely. And a lot of TV shows are stepping up and meeting the challenge. And we're just going to pay tribute to some of the TV shows that are making us really happy right now. I'll start us off by talking about a show that is very close to my heart right now, which is Motherland Fort Salem. It's a show on Freeform, and it's about basically witches who are fighting for the United States against like terrorist witches, and they're like at like witch West Point kind of, and it's in an alternate world where that's what Fort Salem is. It's it's like yeah, it's which which West Point or or which Annapolis? I mean, take your pick. Yeah, it's like yeah, exactly. It's the Witch Military Academy, and it's an alternate world where instead of the Salem Witch Trials, there was some kind of Salem Peace Accord, where witches agreed to fight for the United States before the United States was even a thing, and it's just I don't know, Annalie, why do we love that show so much? You know, for me, it's one of the most interesting alternate history ideas that I've come across in a really long time. And it a lot of it has to do with stuff that you can only do on television, which is just the visual image of pagan women waving the American flag and making patriotic speeches. It's just it's such a mindfuck. Because these are images that just, I mean, I grew up at a time of like, you know, people burning D&D books and burning like heavy metal albums because they were satanic and they were doing it in the name of America. And seeing a show that's embracing the idea of pagan magic as something fundamental to American identity, it's just, 
it's amazing seeing those images. And that's that's just the kind of background, you know, that's just the world building where I haven't even gotten into the like adorable main characters and all yeah. of their like flouncy, bouncy melodrama. There's so much drama. It's like, it's, I can't believe it's not a CW show. It's just so much drama. And like the three female main characters have these really complicated friendships with like lots of spikiness and they all have different perspectives about what's going on and they all are having their own romances, except for one of them who just wants to screw around, I guess, but they're having romances. And yeah, one of them like, is like, a, a tr- is like, she's a slut. But like, that's a badge of pride. Like one of the yeah. things that these witches are supposed to do is they're supposed to be like, randy and like, you know, um, kind of show their power by like, attracting lots and lots of people to have sex with. And so it's like, when I say she's a slut, I mean that in like in a world where being a slut is considered super badass, like she's badass. <laughs> it's like expected. And and yeah, it's so awesome. And there's like a lesbian relationship that's unfortunately got some issues. But, you know, I'm rooting for them. I'm hoping that it works out. It's just it's a really fun show that's like it's very kind of like it's crack, but in the best possible way. It's like it's just tasty, happy crack. And the the world building is just so superb, and and it's all the the sort of main plot of the of season one is that there are terrorist attacks and there's these they're magical attacks, and so the witches are having to get involved to try to stop these magical attacks. So it's very on the nose in terms of American politics, and yet it's just taking place in this like bonkers alternate reality where like patriotism looks really different, but it still feels like patriotism. I just, I can't get enough of the show and it. And it is like, anytime you get bored of the world building, there's just like somebody having sex or like arguing with their mom or like there's some like crazy conspiracy. And so it's delightful. It is. So what's another show that we're really, really excited about right now, Annalie? So we've been watching Vagrant Queen, which is an incredible Canadian space opera, which is so good. It's just I mean, this is another show where there's a lot of stuff happening in it that completely depends on the medium of television. And this is, you know, the story is a pretty typical kind of swashbuckling tale. There's a princess who is fleeing she's a reluctant royal she's uh, actually a queen i'd say oh no she was a queen right okay she was crowned she was crowned queen and then there's like a horrific attack from basically nationalists who overthrow the monarchy which the monarchy are the good guys in this show um kind of like star wars it's a little ambiguous but yeah yeah, so she she flees the kingdom and becomes a scavenger and becomes this total badass ninja who's completely below the radar. She's zooming around kind of Firefly style, you know, just like smuggling and stealing stuff like you do. And then, of course, as the show begins, she's having to kind of reckon with her past and and she's needed and she's being sort of torn between, you know, remaining an outsider, kind of just leading her own life or going back to her home planet and taking the throne and trying to overthrow the incredibly authoritarian shitbags who've taken over. That's the backstory. But the thing that's delightful about it, tell us more, Charlie. Well, I mean, it's funny. You said it it uses the format of television really well, and I agree with that. It's actually based on a comic book, which I haven't read, by Magdalene Visaggio and various other people. And I'm actually really curious to read the comic now because I feel like it's such a 
television concept and like the way that it uses all the visuals and like the kind of pumping dance music in every scene and like the the acting and just like there's so much about it that's just so uniquely television and like i just i love the characters so much i love the main you know alita the the runaway queen and her kind of like fuck it attitude and her whole like she absolutely does not want to go back and become a monarch again and she's they're trying to drag her back into regaining her throne and she's just like fuck that and you know her sidekicks are just adorable and it's it is so canadian there's just all these jokes about winnipeg and regina well their ship is called the winnipeg i know (laughs) and when they're when they're trying to go undercover they refer to the ship as the regina and there's lots of jokes regina for those of you who don't know is the capital of saskatchewan anyway so it's delightful. It's, it's very Canadian. And at one point, Isaac, the guy who's from Earth, is like, yeah. You know, somebody else is talking about their, like, dangerous planet they come from. And he's like, yeah, Canada is also really brutal and dangerous. And it's like, yeah, I don't I'm know, from it's just Canada. A, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, so, yeah. it's such a cute show. And Elita, the um, the lead character who's the queen, um, she just gives great side eye. Like, she is just the master of side eye. And that's what we want in a queen right now. But also back to the sort of styling of the show, like it is very disco candy color. It's very much in that mode of like, I feel like in the last five years since Guardians of the Galaxy, the kind of brightly colored, like late 70s vision of the future has become much more popular again, which thankfully, because now everything can be sparkly. Um, Yeah, it's really true. Jim Gerard, who's the person who is the showrunner, Um, she's clearly got a real flair for the visual. Like she often will set the show's action sequences in these really unlikely places, like a convenience store at a gas station on another planet. Um, And a scene that we saw in the second episode, which I cannot believe exists because it is so fucking amazing, is that our heroes are in your usual kind of trap. They're in a cage, dangling over a fire. The bad guy is like, I'm going to kill you and eat you if you don't do a thing. And what's the thing they have to do? They have to win a karaoke contest. And so- Spoilers. <laughs> they're, I mean, come on. Like, this is not even a spoiler. So this is a good. bit. That and it's like, so, so they're dangling good. in a cage over a oh fire. My God. There's another prisoner dangling in a cage over the fire and they are competing with each other at karaoke. And it's a whole scene, a whole song of them doing like they're so good. Cannibal karaoke. I, like I said, it ah. was sublime. It was, I'd never seen anything like it before. Yes, it's true that occasionally on the show Angel, they had some karaoke type there numbers. There was some but, great karaoke on Angel. But yeah, no, this, but is, this was like this above was so beautiful. and beyond. So it was so I, beautiful. This is the first show uh, from Jim Gerard. I cannot wait to see what she does next. I hope that there's like a fucking empire of Jim Gerard shows that, that we get to enjoy for the rest of our lives. So long Same. live Jim Gerard. <laughs> yeah, and actually building up what you said about the candy colored like disco space aesthetic you know i mean i feel like for a while everything had to be like firefly and the expanse and alien and i'm here for that i love gritty space travel where everything is kind of dark and grimy everybody's kind of born down and everything's just kind of bleak and there's just different shades of brown and gray but (laughs) you know every now and then it's really nice to have pink and red and yellow and green and just like all the colors 
Mm-hmm. So, Charlie Jane, what's another show that we're super excited about? Okay, a show that we've both been really obsessed with recently is I Am Not Okay With This, which is a show on Netflix that is from the same people who did another one of our favorite shows, The End of the Fucking World. And I Am Not Okay With This is sort of a mutant coming-of-age story that feels a little bit like it could actually take place in the X-Men universe or in the Heroes Mm -hmm. universe or, you know, the universe of the movie Push. But it's a little bit darker, a little bit weirder, and more, and also a bit goofier and more fun than a lot of those other things. And it's just about this young queer girl coming to terms with her father's death and coming to terms with the fact that she has telekinetic powers. And it's so powerful and moving and intense, but also just really fun. The thing I really like about I Am Not Okay With This is it feels like it could really be just a queer coming of age story set in a small town. And, you know, the fact that she has superpowers is kind of just part of this overall discovery that she's kind of different from everybody else and she has different needs and different abilities. And, you know, it feels very naturalistic. Like a lot of times I feel like superhero shows are very heightened and we're kind of used to that idea of like this heightened reality. And this is kind of the opposite. Like it's not grungy. It's just like, it just feels very everyday and very realistic. And then these moments of her supernatural abilities coming out feel more scary because of that. Like it just feels really grounded. Yeah, it's really all, it's very character heavy and very character based. And that makes, like you said, it makes the speculative fiction elements pop a lot more. It feels sort of like an indie coming of age movie in effect, because like the whole show is just kind of the length of a movie. I feel like it's a movie cut up into a little, yeah, the whole season is like the length of a movie and much like the end of the fucking world, which is the same, you know, people in the same kind of feel. It's, I think the end of the fucking world was, well, actually was a movie cut up into tiny episodes. And I feel like this has that same feeling of like, it's just like an indie movie. It's like a Sundance film. So another show that we wanted to talk about that I'm just like in love with right now is Dickinson. And Dickinson is a show that is not quite as speculative as some of these other shows, but it has a real magical realism feel to it. And Annalie, tell us more about why we love Dickinson so much. So Dickinson is about the poet Emily Dickinson, who lived in the mid 19th century in Massachusetts. And the thing that's great about the show is that it celebrates her poetry, which is quite gothy and quite fantastical. She spends a lot of time talking to animals and talking to death and talking to other supernatural figures in her poetry. And in the show, we get to see that acted out. Like she actually gets into a carriage with death and talks to death about some stuff that's on her mind. Um, But it's also a very historically accurate picture of what life would have been like in the years leading up to the Civil War in Massachusetts, which was the time that Emily Dickinson lived in. And so we get to see her father, who's a politician, arguing over issues around abolition, which he thinks is too radical. Then the younger characters in the story are all pro-abolition of slavery. And there's a lot of great quirks in the show in terms of style, where, as you were saying, that's the sort of surreal 
fantastical setting of her poetry, but also all of the younger characters speak in contemporary American slang, whereas all of the adults speak in kind of 19th century language. So there's this fun kind of playing around with generation gaps. And also, of course, it's true to Emily Dickinson's life in another way, which is almost never taught in schools when you read her poetry, which is that she was a big old lesbian who was having a long-term affair with her brother's wife. And that relationship is actually really cool and interesting and beautiful and sometimes frustrating. But that's part of what I love about that show is that the characters are so vivid. They're just such interesting characters and they get richer and more interesting as the show goes on. Like we were talking about the other day about the fact that like Emily's brother kind of starts off just seeming like a doofus and just like kind of a shitty guy. And then you kind of realize that he actually has a really good heart and that He's, there's actually more to him than you you can see at first. And he's actually not a bad guy after all. He's not the smartest, but he really loves Emily and wants to support her. And, you know, I feel like it's just, there's all this interesting stuff layered in there about class privilege and whiteness and all the privilege that Emily Dickinson doesn't realize she has and how that intersects with the fact that she is actually really constrained from doing the one thing that she wants to do as a woman, which is be a poet. But it's a really just, it's a funny show. It's really cute. And it's a show that feels kind of like a, a weird historical fantasy without going too heavily on the fantasy aspects. And the fact that it is so fantastical is such a great counterpoint to the fact that it's so historically accurate. You know, it's really kind of capturing a lot of stuff that I certainly hadn't realized about Emily Dickinson. And I was, you know, an English PhD student uh, who studied American lit. And I just didn't know that she'd had such a fascinating life and that her poetry was kind of um, knitted into the historical fabric. And that's the other thing about the show. If you're any kind of lover of wacky Gothic poetry, every episode is about one poem that she wrote and kind of how what happened to her in her life led to the poem. And we hear the language of her poetry and it's just great. It's yeah, it's it'll definitely perk you up. It's got some sad parts, but it's it's just beautiful. So, Charlie Jane, tell us about uh, a couple of other shows that are getting you excited, maybe like a lightning round. Yeah, okay. So, um, we've talked before about our love of Steven Universe, but there's a sequel show to Steven Universe called Steven Universe Future, which kind of picks up, you know, much like the Steven Universe TV movie that they did late last year, Steven Universe future kind of picks up when Steven is 16 years old. He's a bit older. He's an adolescent. And, you know, it's kind of like the happily ever after, except not entirely because it's like, yep, Steven has saved the universe. He saved the galaxy. He's made peace. He's fixed all these long-term problems that his mother left behind. And he's kind of making peace with his mother's legacy. But it's like, what do you do after that? What do you do when you know, you've you've saved the universe. And like, how do you deal with all the trauma that you were just kind of repressing during that? And it's, that's just, it was kind of a slow boil. The first few episodes just were like, oh, okay, here's the new status quo of how everybody's dealing. But then it gets really dark and intense and really like beautiful and moving, but just really, really insane. I'm loving the latest season of The Expanse, which is a show that we nearly didn't get any more of. It was finally renewed for two more seasons on Amazon. 
it's just getting weirder and more exciting and awesome. And I just love that The Expanse is still around and that they're getting to do more of the books and that hopefully they'll get to actually wrap it up. Yeah. And with the Amazon budget, it just looks fantastic because now they've so reached good. the point where they're hopping through these, I guess, sort of uh, dimension doorways or wormholes right. or techno wizardry that takes them far across the galaxy and it looks so good, you know, like it's it, it so really, awesome. Yeah. And of course, the writing is great, but it's nice to see it, you know, packaged up with some really fancy CGI just to give us that sense of wonder. Because the thing I love about The Expanse is that it gives you that sense of wonder that you expect from a space opera, but it never lets you forget that all of this sense of wonder is built on the backs of the working class. Yeah. That's like we just, we don't ever go off. And just spend the rest of our days with like kings and queens and fancy ass people. We always come back to labor issues, to mm-hmm. you know, ethnic divisions and nationalist divisions. And I just that's absolutely that's like crack. Yeah. And full disclosure, I'm I'm currently working with one of the producers, The Expanse, on developing a show based on my novel, uh, The City in the Middle of the Night. Uh, and then there's the new Nancy Drew show on the CW, which we've just started watching, and it's got witches and ghosts and supernatural stuff. It's like kind of like a Vampire Diaries version of Nancy Drew. And I'm just, it's so fun so far. It's got a little bit of Veronica Mars in it, too. What are some shows that you're excited about right now, Annalie? Just lightning round. So I want to be sure and mention Devs, which is uh, the first TV series from Alex Garland, who's written a ton of great science fiction films and also directed Ex Machina and Annihilation, um, which were two really interesting kind of arty sci-fi movies that have come out recently. And Devs is not surprisingly about software developers at this kind of mysterious company where they're developing some kind of... I don't want to give spoilers, but let's just say it's technology that has the power to transform our civilization really profoundly. Like it's it's kind of almost magic level. And it's a conspiracy story. It's a story about techno fetishism and techno solutionism kind of gone completely wrong. It has incredible acting. It has some of the people that Garland has worked with before, like an ex machina And it's just a really weird near future thriller that immediately sucked me in. And um, I just love that it's conspiracies within conspiracies. It's just like everything you could want from a thriller. And it also is sort of making fun of Google in a lot of ways. So, uh, So that's always delightful, too. And the other show I wanted to mention is the new season of Westworld. We're in season three. And I was a huge fan of season one. I thought season two got kind of mired in its own butt a little bit. Um, There were a couple episodes that were real standouts in the second season. But the third season has completely gone on a totally different direction. It has gone out of the theme park. Now all of the robots are in the real world. So we're now getting to see not just the inside of this, you know, historical recreation, but the society that's made that crea- recreation. And it's basically person of interest set about 100 years in the future, which makes sense because Jonah Nolan, who was the showrunner on Person of Interest, is also one of the showrunners along with Lisa Joy on Westworld. And we're in this sort of gritty kind of cyberpunk future where 
There's characters who are petty thieves that have like gig apps that help them pick up like smuggling jobs and stuff like that. We're watching the robots trying to take over the 1% at their, you know, golden seats in these corporations that run the world. And there's all these new questions about robot identity because a lot of the robots um, have been put into new bodies. And so it's kind of like, what does it mean when you take a cowboy robot and put him in the body of a hot chick? How does he deal with that? And uh, there's all these new plot twists and new kind of conspiracies that we're dealing with. Um, It has Tessa Thompson in it being badass. And I'm just really excited. I'm really excited to see where it takes us. Um, And it's very rare that you see a show that kind of meanders off the track and then just snaps right back on and gets you excited again. So I would say watch season one of Westworld, then skip right to season three, like read a plot summary of season two and you're going to be fine. And that's probably how it should have been. So I'm excited about both those shows. Let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about some older shows that we love and take a little deep dive on some of the shows that really make us feel better and why. Okay, Charlie Jane, are there some shows that are either slightly older or much older that are really making you feel good right now, not just because they're like sparkly fun, but because there's something about the show that like really speaks to like interesting issues or there are some shows that came out in the last like five, 10 years. Either we slept on them a little bit or we need to give them some love again. And uh, shows that I'm obsessed with right now, I'm finally catching up on the final season of 12 Monkeys, which is a show that was on sci-fi and I had covered it for io9 and I, you know, I was really into it back then, but I never got around to seeing the final season, but it's now all on Hulu. You know, you would think it would be too on the nose for this current kind of pandemic situation because it does have a it's based on the movie 12 monkeys and it does have a pandemic and all that kind of stuff but the show especially by the final season is just the goofy weird silly time travel stuff and just people crossing their own timelines and running around and having shenanigans there's one scene in like one of the early episodes of season four where they go back to the old west and it's like 1850 something and they're in a saloon in, out in the middle of nowhere and it's all these western characters and you're like oh my god we're in a saloon there's gonna be all this like western bar stuff and then the guy sitting at the piano you realize that he's playing the theme from weird science by Oingo Boingo because he's a traveler from the future and then you realize that everybody in this saloon is a traveler from the future and there's nobody from the present from the 1850s in there they're all just different people from the future who are shown up in this saloon together and it's like oh and it just it's a show that keeps kind of pulling weird shit like that and just kind of pulling the rug out from under you in, in a way that makes me really 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 happy um what's the show that's making you happy right now so I'm catching up on watching Shannara. Shannara! <laughs> which um, I have to yes. admit, I never read the books, which I know are huge fan favorites, but I am not a big epic fantasy reader. There's certain epic fantasy novels that I totally adore, but usually I stick with sci-fi. But for some reason during this pandemic, I've just been craving epic fantasy And so I dug it out of some, you know, recesses in my streaming media services. 
and started watching it. And I just love it. It's very light and gentle. It's a lot of goofing around. It's a lot of just like cute people who probably should be on a CW show, you know, romping through these beautiful landscapes. It's like a medieval fantasy realm, but transposed into a post-apocalyptic future because clearly they're on future Earth where all the cities have now decayed into just like these sort of graceful pieces of steel that are like hung with vines. And like, you know, it's this sort of world without us, but with us. (laughs) And, you know, there's like elves and gnomes. And trolls. Trolls and humans and... There's like, it kind of lightly touches on how there's this, there's like racism between the elves and the humans, but it's barely dealt with. Like it's, it's not satisfying at that level. It's really just a sweet romp. It's a clearly just a quest for, you know, it's justice. an epic quest. Yeah. It's an epic quest. And it's really kind of fulfilling my desire to have an epic fantasy where I don't have to think too hard. And it's kind of filling the same void as The Witcher did for me as well. Although The Witcher is a little bit more biting and satirical and kind of snarky. And Shannara is more, I think Shannara is taking itself seriously as a fantasy epic. Whereas The Witcher, part of the fun about The Witcher is that it's kind of like the main character, The Witcher, gets into these crazy fantasy situations and will literally say like, what the fuck? How can this be happening? And so he's kind of the voice (laughs) of the audience. Whereas, you know, in Shannara, there's never a what the fuck moment. In Shannara, it's like, ooh, it's all like epic and beautiful. And like, here's our destiny. And I have sparkly elf stones that allow me to fight scary dragons. And like, it's very gentle and sweet. So I'm enjoying that. So let me throw it back to you, Charlie Jane. What are a couple other more classic or older shows that are making you excited? Well, I mean, these aren't that much older, but like Russian Doll, which I think was on Netflix like a year or so ago, Russian Doll continues to be just like a source of happiness and joy to me. And I just, I really love how that show dealt with like the kind of trope of like the Groundhog Day thing of like living the same day over and over again. And the way that it became a story, you know, I guess those Groundhog Day stories are often about personal growth or about having to learn something. But Russian Doll just went deeper and weirder with it. And I would honestly watch Natasha Leon like just read the phone book. I would watch her, you know, ordering groceries. I would watch her do anything because she's so just a fascinating actor and she's just so full of like zingy kind of like energy. And that show just keeps being like full of life and energy. And it has such a, it gets deeper and deeper in terms of like how it deals with, you know, her relationships and stuff. It reminded me in a weird way of, this isn't really a good comparison, but for some reason it reminded me of a show that I love from like a a dozen years ago, Journeyman, where it's like kind of a similar thing of like someone who's unstuck in time and has to kind of deal with some stuff. And it ends up being a lot about their relationships. And I feel like that I love that kind of time travel where it's a little bit therapeutic in a way. Yeah, it is therapeutic. I feel like that's one of the things I love about Russian Doll is that it is a therapeutic narrative. And it also suggests that her journey isn't just personal growth. It's also about her needing to understand her connection to her community and that there's no healing of yourself without healing your relationships and healing your larger community. And I feel like the ending of the first season just captures that completely. I mean, this is not a spoiler. I'm just sort of saying thematically, 
that's really kind of where we go with the story is that it becomes kind of political and it becomes focused on like her community in New York and how that community has been kind of warped over time, just the way she has. And I just, it's a show that will fill you with the right kind of hope right now, which is to say it's a difficult hope. You know, it's a hard road, but the characters get there and there really is a genuine sense of possibility at the end that feels super earned. You know, it's not like we got the elf stones and we made it to the place with the shiny shit. It's like we were nothing hard wrong with getting it. the elf stones. No, I'm like that. pro elf stones. OK, I'm totally but I'm just saying I got like, so elf stoned the other night. <laughs> I got like elf stoned <laughs> off my ass. I just feel like like Elfie boy, you know, he doesn't do a lot more work. He doesn't do a lot of work on himself other than learning how to pooch his lips a lot. You know, like Shannara, it's it's not it's not throwing a lot of psychological depth at you. And that's totally fine. That's delightful. So let's talk about a couple classics. Classics. So give me a classic show that you want everyone to go back and watch. Yeah. So this one is tricky because it's hard to find, but... I'm just obsessed with a show called Space Island One. I will never stop talking about it. I might eventually have to do like a blog about it or something. Space Island One was a German-British co-production in the late 90s about people living on a space station. And it's just, it's a very, even though it's set in space, it's a very grounded show. It's a show that tries really, really hard to have accurate science and to have three-dimensional characters who are never kind of exaggerated or over the top. And it does have some pretty weird plots. Like there's one character in the show who is a veteran NASA astronaut who deals with a bunch of different challenges, including he's losing bone density because he spent so much time in space that his bone density is eroding and he has to do all this extra exercise and stuff to try to keep his bones from becoming too brittle. But meanwhile, he also is wasting the space station's resources calling 1-900 phone sex numbers because he needs to... He's lonesome. He needs to get laid. He needs to have some kind of, you know, connection with somebody. And so he just calls phone sex lines on Earth. And obviously this is oh, man. dates it as being from the late 90s. But it's it's actually a, a really, like, complicated show. Unfortunately, it's impossible to find through any legit means. But the entire first season is on the Internet Archive. And sadly, the second season, which I think is better than the first season, is really hard to find. And I track down copies of it online somewhere, but you have to kind of dig to find the second season. But the first season is easy to find. What's a classic TV show that you're thinking about a lot lately? Well, I've been thinking a lot lately about Xena Warrior Princess. And that was another classic 90s show. And I think it came up for me because I'd been watching Witcher. And Xena has a lot of the same flavor as The Witcher, and in fact, probably was an inspiration for the style of The Witcher TV show. Obviously, The Witcher is built based on a video game, but the style of the show with the kind of um, wisecracking character and a lot of the very broad physical humor uh, is all in Xena. And in fact, Xena's sidekick, Xena, of course, is a warrior princess. Uh, and her sidekick, Gabrielle, is a bard and is constantly kind of writing up the things that Xena is doing just the way the Witcher's sidekick is is also a bard. Um, and, you know, the thing I love about Xena is that it's it's crack for someone like me who likes a redemption narrative. If you've like read any of my fiction writing, you know that I often have main characters who are working hard to redeem themselves after having been 
horrible murderers and other bad things. Um, Xena also has been in the past, she was a ruthless warlord. She slaughtered tons of villages. She was just a, a terrible blight upon the land, basically. And at a certain point, she realizes that she's been bad and she has a, a change of heart and she breaks away from her gang of brigands and goes off on her own to try to right wrongs. And so she's kind of the equalizer at that point. And she's, you know, alone with her awesome horse, you know, trying to rescue people and oftentimes trying to fix problems that she created back when she was a bad guy. And Gabrielle, don't don't forget Gabrielle. No, I was going to say, so she then runs into Gabrielle in one of these situations where she's trying to rescue people. And Gabrielle is like, I'm coming with you. Too bad. You can't get rid of me. And they have this amazing unspoken romance. And it's funny because in the 90s, when the show was popular, it was very common on message boards to talk about the subtext in the show, which is that Xena and Gabrielle are obviously lovers. And the writers knew about this. And I was lucky enough to see a panel many, many years later after the show was off the air uh, with one of the writers on Xena. And she was like, absolutely, in the writer's room, we knew about the subtext and we we agreed with it. We felt that they were lovers and we tried to write that into the story. So it's like, you know, it was it was 90s lesbians, which is to say they were closeted, but we all knew. And of course, they do have entanglements with dudes. They're bisexual, but their main relationship is with each other. And the first like couple of seasons are just so fun and like they're very silly and it's really great kind of old school 90s feminism of having a protagonist who's a woman who's really big and brawny and tall and, you know, she's beautiful, of course, but she doesn't fit the stereotypes of the kind of like cutesy, tiny, girly woman. Um, She's like a bruiser, you know, and um, and. She's also got this tough past that she's trying to live down. So um, and then, of course, she does lots of silly stuff. She's really great at broad physical humor. So it's it's a really fun show. I feel like, you know, it's kind of being rediscovered at right now, but still hasn't quite, you know, become a, a thing. It hasn't become a meme as much as it should and so my tiny postscript to this is another 90s show that we should all be watching is Lex, which is a Canadian sci-fi show, which is just this kind of like ridiculous comedy with lots and lots of um, body humor and a spaceship that looks like a giant dick and balls. And um, yeah, like if you if you can find Lex, L-E-X-X, immerse yourself, it will be it will be wonderful. I think we have all of Lex on DVD, like a very old format. Yes, like I, I scored some DVDs like from Amoeba Records, I'd <laughs> oh, say 10 man. years ago or something. So oh, I, I have no idea if it's available online or not. But Xena is definitely available online. You can find it. There are definitely some episodes of Lex on YouTube. And I feel like that kind of brings it full circle because whenever we watch Vagrant Queen, we always remark on how it reminds us of Lex a little bit, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like there's a really distinctive strand of, you know, Canadian TV sci-fi comedy. Um, and this brings us to two shows that we love, Lost Girl and Killjoys, yes! which are Canadian, Canadian fantasy for Lost Girl, Canadian sci-fi for Killjoys. They're both created by Michelle Lavretta, 
I um, love her. Who is our hero. And um, Lost Girl is about a succubus detective, as as one has, you know, those are important. Turns out that even though it's allegedly set in New York, it's obviously Toronto. And there's like a war between the dark fae and the light fae in Toronto, which is obviously going on even now um, and helps explain a lot of things about Toronto politics. Yeah, it's just really fun. It's like a great supernatural detective story. And why don't you explain why Killjoys is amazing? Killjoys is just, you know, it's kind of in the same vein as Vagrant Queen. It's about these bounty hunters who have to go out and bring back, you know, bad guys, but they get caught up in politics and there's like a conspiracy. And it turns out that the main character, Dutch, has this whole past where she was an assassin and the guy who trained her to be an assassin is now after her and she has a doppelganger and the, I couldn't possibly summarize the plot. <laughs> there's so many strands. There's like a place called Old Town where everybody is like, you know, trapped in this like weird slum and there's like, you know. There's sort of the Mad Max slum, but then there's also sort of like a space princess thing happening in another part of the galaxy. Yeah, and like- it's, it's so complicated. There's Dr. Potter who's like a princess but also a doctor and like she falls in love with one of the bounty hunters and it's just it's a show that just like has so much going on but it's just got that kind of good natured quirky fun humor all the time and it's about like found family and i'm gonna i think we should wrap up in a second but i'm gonna mention one last canadian science fiction show i feel like this could have been the canadian sci-fi tv episode really but (laughs) one last canadian science fiction show that i want to just shout out is continuum which yes. is a it is a time travel show which takes place in Vancouver which I just want to like pause and appreciate how great it is to have a show filmed in Vancouver that takes place in Vancouver instead of having Vancouver studied for New York or Boston or wherever in the United States and it's a show about a cop from the future who comes back in time chasing criminals from the future and they arrive in the present day and you think it's going to be like time tracks or whatever, you know, which is another show that I have like a deep and abiding love for. But you think it's going to be just like she's chasing criminals, but it gets much more complicated. The criminals turn out to be kind of right about a lot of stuff because they're anti-corporate. They're trying to change this evil corporate future that she comes from. And it becomes much more complex. And it's a show that, you know, ultimately really sticks the landing in terms of how it ends. It has an ending that's really beautiful and profound in which, you know, things are actually resolved in a really satisfying and exciting way. And it's a show that just like, you know, you really grow to love these characters and the time travel stuff is handled in a way that never stops being thought provoking and awesome. Basically the message is Canadian science fiction is the best. Yes. Um. (laughs) For 100%. Oh, I was going to add one more thing um, just to cement the awesomeness of Michelle Lavretta's two shows, Lost Girl and Killjoys, um, which share with Vagrant Queen the fact that, like, it seems like pretty much all of the characters are bi Mm -hmm. um, and everybody's having sex with everybody. Like, you know, there's queer couples, there's straight couples, there's like, you know, human fae, there's human werewolf, there's like you know, human alien, like anything you want is there, including polyamorous couples or truples or flupples or whatever, zupples. And so it's just like, it's a nice smorgasbord of romance. (laughs) (laughs) A A veritable cornucopia of romance. It's a good smorgasbord. 
of romance. <laughs> All right. On that note. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. This has been Our Opinions Are Correct. And you can find us wherever podcasts are found. If you just readily stumbled on us, we're available everywhere. Please leave a review if you like us. That helps so much with this podcast. And we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash ouropinionsarecorrect. We're on Twitter at OOACpod. And you can find us everywhere. Uh, thanks so much to Veronica Simonetti, our incredible producer with Women's Audio Mission, who is standing by us during this challenging time. Thanks so much to Chris Palmer for the music. And thanks again to you for listening. We love you so much. And we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you so much. Bye. 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 Stay safe. Bye.